Welcome to the Tiny Plastic People podcast. The podcast about tiny plastic people. We paint them, we play with them, we roll with loads and loads of twos, and we want to tell you why we think that's great. My name's Tom. I've been in the hobby for some time, quite a few years, since I was about some years old, maybe like 15 years ago. And I've been sort of on and off it ever since. I've come back in recently. It's pretty good. The, the, the hobby's in a pretty good place. With us today is JD. Hello. Uh, yeah, uh, I've also been in and out of the hobby since early teenagerhood. Um, came back in about three years ago uh, and just bringing all that slanesh. Nice. And also we've got Alistair. Hi, yeah, I'm Alistair. Um, I'm a hobbyist um, from South Africa and uh, Cape Town. Um, yeah, I've been back in the hobby again, sort of as I as a hobby as a teenager and came back in about seven years ago, but um, we've gotten mainly into Warhammer in the last sort of couple of years. Thanks to Underworlds, hooray, they got me. It's a good game. It's not surprising. It, it, it hooked me actually for a good while. Nice. Cool. Well, I mean, we're going to start with chatting about what we've been uh, been hobbying lately. Um, Alistair, what have you been what have you been working on? What have you done recently? I've been working on. Speaking of like my of my old hobby history, um, as a teenager, I bought a Tau Battle Force. Um, this must be. I was trying to work it out exactly how old it is the other day, um, but I think it's about fifteen or sixteen years old. Um, it was the big battle force which had like fire warriors and crute and a devil fish and stealth suits and one XV8 in it. What's um, the XV8? Remind me if, if the oh, this is just a XV8 crisis a, suit. Just a normal crisis suit. Okay, yeah, normal yeah. crisis. So that would, that would have been a commander back in the day. Um, and some of them I assembled as a teenager um, and sort of. I sort of primed some of the models in something. It definitely wasn't primer. Um, it was black and awful. So um, I'd spent. So yeah, I've been spending like ages, like ages recently, trying to like rescue these things, and I've done a pretty good job. I think I've managed to strip off most of the paint that was on them. Um, gap filling at the devilfish has been an interesting process because it actually is a pretty wonky kit. Like it's very old. Um, oh, I guess I suppose it's comparable to sort of like the 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 Falcon Eldar kits. Well, not not quite as old as those, but it's got the same sort of uh, venerable history, isn't it? It's the same. Yeah, it's yeah, the it's, same it's, kit it's, now, it, right? It's a kit from the very first um, Tower release, which I think was mm. like two thousand or something. It like, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. So that. it's it's an old kit, um, and of course, I didn't put it together very well as a kid. Um, so I've been actually like finding out some stuff that's been helping. So I've tried out Tamiya Putty recently. Um, which so there's lots of different like filling putties like liquid green stuff's one of them um, and there's the liquid putty from Vallejo but um, both of those shrink when they dry which is not something you want when you're trying to fill a hole because you put the putty in and then it shrinks yeah, and then do... you've got to put more putty in and then it shrinks again mm. um, the, the liquid green stuff does that sort of infamously doesn't it yeah but as it turns out the Tamiya stuff does not do this um, those yeah, it turns out that the Gundam people really know their shit. Um, <laughs> they know how to assemble a big robot, yeah. They know how to assemble a big robot and fill all the like holes that they don't want in it. Um, and that's been like super helpful, as well as something else, which um, another product from Tamiya, actually, but you can get it in, from other places as well, called sanding sponges, 
um, which is also from sort of like military modeling and mecha modeling um, sides. But it's basically instead of having sandpaper where you've, your sand is on paper, it's sand on a sponge. So hmm. it's flexible. So this means you can go over curved surfaces really nicely. Um, and it, it comes in different grades, just like sandpaper. So you oh, can wow. like smooth over nice surface, like any sort of curved surfaces really nicely. So it's great for like just taking the edge off things. And um, I've actually used it on some newer kits, which have, you know, in like, if there's a really, really big kit with like huge plastic plates, there'll occasionally be a random seam line through the middle of the plate and like sanding that's just like you brush that with this stuff and it comes off. Wow. Yeah. It's, so that's been fun. Oh, and panel liner. Turns out panel liner is good too. What's that? Uh, it's basically you pre-thinned oil paint. Oh. Um, so you, yeah, you can prepare your model. I've, yeah. So I've been like glossing my models with varnish and then putting it on. But apparently you can just do it on an acrylic paint job. Mm. Um, and mm. it goes into all the cracks, which... Again, for Tao, they've got lots of cracks. Mm -hmm. It's been fun. That sounds very good. That sounds very yeah. nice. So, especially the, uh, the, 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 the sanding sponges reminds me of magic erasers that you can buy, especially when I've been renting places and like there's a mark on the wall. You can just like get these magic erasers. And I guess they sound like sandpaper sponges, whatever they're called. And you just like, you can like gently erase off like scuffs mm. on the wall with them. But if you go too hard, then you take the paint off. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sounds comparable. Interesting. Yeah, no, they're, they're cool things. Hmm. Look into that. So, it's better than just using a scalpel to scrape everything off like I've been doing. Um, yeah. JD, what have you been up to? Uh, <clears throat> well, I've actually been in a bit of a hobby slump for the last week and a half, oh. two weeks or so. Just I've just not felt like uh, painting particularly. Um, it happens. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But um, what I did paint before that happened is I managed to do the shard speaker so the new mortal wizard for stanesh and that was a lot of fun um a lot of flowing robes and stuff and that's that's the person holding the mirror holding right? a mirror and with a big staff with smoke coming out of it yeah um and that was yeah that was a great model to paint it was just like quick little hero um and yeah. then i started on uh sigvald and that's Ooh. been it was really fun but it just i think i got in my own head with it a little bit <laughs> because oh. there's a lot of expectation from like on my end because um you know my favorite character from the old world all that kind of stuff um so i wanted to do him justice really and the big thing was like doing the shield right and that was something <laughs> that i agonized over for ages of how i was going to do the shield and then i finally figured it out <clears throat> and it was actually because of the shard speaker that i figured out what i wanted to do with it um so the, the shard speaker's staff has like a little orb in it where all the smoke's coming out of Mm -hmm. And I did that with sort of like a like with with uh, some glazing and blending. I managed to get like a sort of swirly greeny effect with like purple run, mm -hmm. running through it. And I decided to do that for Sigvold's shield to try and like unify it, so it looks a bit like a like a, it's not just a reflective mirror; it's like a mystical portal mirror. Mm -hmm. And how's how's that gone? Have you started okay. doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've managed to I've got about I think I've got one like stage left to do on that before it's like no probably two stages actually um so what i need to still need to do is i need to go up another shade of green and get it a bit lighter and then start running the purple through it which mm. you know it's, it's glazing is time consuming anyway um just because you've got a lot of time waiting um for like the last layer to dry before you put the next one on um but i've just sort of 
just taking a break really from hobby because I, I think if you force yourself to do it, it becomes a bit too much like work. Yeah, that's true. Um, have you, uh, yeah, have you have you played any games? Uh, I've been playing on TTS. That um, counts. That's still hobby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because obviously at the moment we still can't sort of meet up to play games and stuff. So yeah, but we we took part in a a TTS team tournament in our community, which I might touch on later on. But yeah, like so, it's, yeah, I've not been entirely out of it. Like, whenever I'm not painting, I'm still thinking about. <laughs> hobby like I'm still thinking about what I want to do and I'm thinking about lore and stuff like that and list building and things like that so yeah it's, it's not like just a complete break it's just been sort of chilling out on the painting yeah. side a little bit a change yeah exactly yeah but I get what you mean about the whole getting in your head about what about a paint job I mean it happens to you all the time I spend way way too much time like researching oh I'm gonna do exactly this step and then this step and then this step and it's gonna look like this and then you like get two steps in and it doesn't look like you think it's gonna look like and you're like oh no now what no ruined it. <laughs> no I know well exactly. yeah I mean yeah exactly I mean I've just decided to commit at this point it's like it, that's happening and that's and when it's done it's done mm-hmm. yeah no it's anyway I've been mainly uh working on what have I been doing? I, the, the most recent thing I did actually was finish off a small Zinch Warcry warband. I've been on a big Warcry push recently. Ah, I just wonder what shoulder there's a, Yeah, there's there's so much. There's, there's so much Warcry I've now amassed. I got a good deal on Catacombs and the uh, Spire Tyrants. So I've got them assembled and I've just thrown everything into a big... <laughs> I say thrown over. Not, probably not the best uh, way of doing it with these fragile models, but I've thrown them all into a big box of uh, unpa- things that need priming. And now, uh, as of this evening, lives the Starblood Stalkers. Um, mm. But especially my... Um, the, the one I keep looking at is the is the piece of terrain that I got a while ago, which is the Sigmarite Chapel, which I was my, my white whale or whatever they call it. It's such a beautiful piece of scenery that they don't make anymore. I'm gutted it doesn't exist. But I want to paint it so I can... In... in post-event world, I can I can bring it to places and use it as a little little building. It's, it's pretty nice. Um, hmm. I also started on my Night Rampager. But, uh, I don't know. I have, a, I have a thing with big models. I start I start a big night, and then I've painted the carapace, and I look at it, and it's... What's the phrase? It's uh, it's taunting me from, from my side desk, half-finished. Hmm. It's looking at me. Yeah, I've never actually managed to finish a big model like that it's one of my things that i want to get done this year sort of i guess i have my devilfish which will be my first big warhammer tank nice thing um but once i've i'm actually taking it really slowly with my with my tower stuff so um usually i go just way too deep way too early on collecting things Um, yeah way over commit but uh, (laughs) this time i'm like no i've got i bought the the big battle force at Christmas, and I've got my really old models which I'm painting. And then once they are all done, I am allowed to buy another thing. As long as you can stick to that, right? This is a I'm, famous thing. You're like you say, I'm not going to buy anything until I've uh, cleared the backlog. I'm going to try then... so hard. <laughs> I mean, I did. I did something similar with my Seraphon when I first got those. I've got, I've got a huge painted Seraphon on me, but and actually the Carnosaur in that is probably the biggest model I've finished recently. I've got an unfinished Lord of Change. I was following the Warhammer TV uh, tutorial, which is, you know, really nicely laid out. Do this step, this step, just dry brushes and do this. And it's all very accessible. Got about halfway in. It's just lived in a box for about a year and a half now. Oh, for no, for no discernible reason. It wasn't going badly or anything. I just, just somehow stopped doing it. And 
I'm worried that the same is going to happen to this night. I think I need to just dedicate some time and push through and finish it. But that that kind of happened to me with um, Corvus Corax for 30k. Um, I started painting him, and then I just got about. I got, like, you know, the, the base cuts down on his armour and the wings and all that kind of stuff, and then it just sort of went in a box, and it's yeah, still, he's taunting fact, you. over there, I can see him in a little box. Yeah, exactly, yeah, but, I mean, eventually I'll go back to him. Eventually I'll finish him. Um, yeah, I get the thing about big models, though. Like, it took me quite a while to get up the motivation to do my Keeper of Secrets, um, and that is the biggest model I've painted. And initially, when I finished that, I was very much, I'm never painting one of those again. Um, but actually, thinking back on it, it wasn't actually that difficult. It it was because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of skin <laughs> as befits a Slanesh model, so it's mostly just skin color. So it's once you've done that, it's basically fine. It's a big old cloak. Uh, it's then just a case of doing the metals and stuff, really. So there is a big old cloak, yeah, and the the uh, the stockings that sort of blend, and yeah, that but they were a lot of fun to do. So yeah, maybe I'll do another. Yeah. I did the um, the carnosaur that I did do it. Like it was, it was really weird because it was a big model and I was very daunted by it. But then I just sat down and I took it to work with me actually, and then I highlighted every single scale on that fucking things back. I don't know why or how or where the motivation to do that came from, but I did it somehow, and then just pushed through it and finished it in about I don't know ten days or something. I've never had that motivation since. I wish I did, but I didn't. Oh well. Unless well, you, know, so you can know you can do it. Yeah, nice to I have a so. completed thing. I guess so. So, um, hmm. what are we going to chat about this week? Uh, JD, you you wanted to do some chats about Tabletop Simulator and 40k? Yeah, well, initially I was I think I was just going to talk about 40k, but we've just had, like I say, like I mentioned, we've had this uh, team uh, tournament organised by community member and contributor Chimp. Um and it's my first sort of go at competitive <clears throat> AOS, really. And that was... I've always been very much sort of, I don't want to get into competitive. I, I like, I'm, I'm a narrative player, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but honestly, it was so much fun. Um, I still wouldn't go to like LGT on my own or something. And I'd, I'd maybe go to like a doubles tournament with a mate. But I'm now really up for the idea of doing a team tournament. Because the, the atmosphere of it and the sort of the list building ahead of time when we split off into our teams and had like separate group chats going like, and there was the playing 4d chess <laughs> of like, once we'd built our list, trying to figure out what they were going to take. <laughs> uh, and then it turns out being mostly wrong. <laughs> um, and th- yeah, just stuff like that. It was great fun. Um, I played, played my game against, it was a new Slanesh versus uh legions in a gash. I lost major loss. Um, but it was, yeah, that sort of, it was close. It was, it was a very fun game to play. Um, and building a list that was actually competitive, mm-hmm. but without, having, without going and finding a net list that was broken was really fun. So getting guidance on other Slanesh players and things like that was a lot of fun, but I still mostly mm. figured it out, you know, or nice. decided what I wanted to do yeah. myself, which was great. Um, but yeah, also 40k as well. I... Um, I've not played a, bu- a whole bunch of 40k. It's one of those that I've always liked it and I've always collected for it. But um, just getting games was just never a thing, really. Like I think I played one game of sixth, one game of seventh, one game of, and then one game of eighth. So I, deci- I decided to just ask um, again, contributor and community member Pete slash Fienya, 
uh, I decided to ask him if he'd teach me 40k. So we had a quick thousand point game in Tabletop Simulator with him playing as Death Guard and me playing as uh, Blood Ravens, Primaris, Space Marines. How did that go? It went okay, actually. Again, it was a lost, but it was close. Like, um, there was just a few things that went wrong for me, but there was a few rules that I got wrong and things like that. But to be fair to Pete, it was very understanding and sort of very patient with me <laughs> as I figured stuff out. I mean, it helped that having played a fair bit of AOS over the years, like, there's certain stuff that is basically like the same. Like the, you don't, you're not. It's not like you're coming into a war game completely new. You know, you know the basics sort of concepts. Yeah, this interests me because um, I've never played 40k myself, but having having a sudden and unexpected urge to paint and collect tau, I'm like suddenly like, oh, maybe I should play this game. I don't yeah. know. Um, but uh, learning it via TDS might be cool or possible. I think so. I think it's um, you know, teacher is a big is a big thing in the in the in the in the hobby at the moment, isn't it? Because obviously nobody's able to, or very few people are able to actually meet up and play games. And uh, you know, I, I spoke, uh, you know, I, I talked somebody through their first game of AOS the other day. Uh, they beat me thoroughly, and it was good fun and a good time as had by all. And it, you know, you can. The ease of some things in TTS, you know, uh, Jelly's saying he had a thousand point game, and, and you know, I, I had a one and a half thousand point game of AOS, and you can like lower it, lower the the thresholds and stuff like this. It's all quite easy and accessible. Mm. I would say it's probably quite a good way of learning, it. especially you know, you don't get the tactile feel of things, but you get a, uh, you get you know, the rules are the same, right? Whether you're playing it on TTS or in real life, I think it's a valid way to a valid way to learn. Mm, Worth cool. investigating. Yeah, I should do that. I've been kind of intimidated, sorry. What, what, what intimidates you about it? Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I think I tried TTS, must have been soon after it came out, so many years ago, and it just felt super bad um, to do. But I mean, like, that was very soon after it came out. Um, so I'm sure that it has slightly improved in quality since then. Otherwise, not so many people will be using it. I think the, the mods for it are very good now. Um and so, that, so for every army there's a full table where you can go and organize your army and then save it as an object and you just pour it over into the table um but as well just yeah the quality of the mods has gone up the tables that people have made are really good um particularly the age of sigmar one is very very good um because it's got like dice rollers it's got bags of terrain you just hit place and it'll place terrain automatically on the on the board for you in a, in a a way that makes sense. Um, it's got all the battle plans and things that are just laid out, and it, it yeah just automatically puts the objectives on the board. It takes a lot of like the setup out of it, which would be a pain if it didn't do that. Really, it doesn't surprise me that it's taken this long to get to this because all of these things that you mentioned, they're all mods, aren't they? they don't, the game yes. doesn't come like this. So it's obviously it's taken time for these mods to be made and for people to add them. But it's in a pretty good place now, where it's sort of. Was it reading that article today that somebody? Uh, that that uh, got written about sort of the the move to TTS and how like it removes the it removes the tactile element of some things and what have you but the but the the core of it the the rolling the dice and stuff it's funny actually the the sort of the limitations of TTS uh, sort of help it in that way because it keeps it a tactile feel like it doesn't it doesn't play the game for you you have to know the rules you have to still look up the rules in a in a book whether that's real or digital. You still have to pretend to roll the dice, at least. And, you know, you can shake them and throw them on the table if you want. 
Well, you still are all the two for you. But it doesn't like tell you, right? It doesn't work it out for you. It doesn't you don't go, I I'm making this unit fight this unit, what's the result? You have to go, right, well this means there's this many guys, and that means I can roll this many dice, and I'm looking for this number and blah, blah, blah. So there's still like a, you know, there's still a, a level of involvement that keeps it interesting involved. Certainly. And I mean when when I played with uh, played forty K with Pete, it was um I still had my Space Marine Codex sat on my desk that I was that I was just sort of flipping through. Mm. And um when I played my the tournament game um i had my you know my slash battle tome i had the, my general's handbook and i had uh, my aos reminders mm. uh, sheets printed out on my desk next to me so i could like flip through and see what i needed to do like yeah there was still still that stuff it was just that the main thing about moving the models and rolling the dice isn't physical which you know i do miss but you know i'll take it <laughs> it's still great fun and you know the, yeah like you say the core of the game is still there like you still gotta make the interesting decisions and figure all your positioning out and things like that. Mm. Hmm. I'd say it's worth that a good. I think it's worth a shot. And I'm sure there's, uh, I'm sure you can find somebody to, I'm sure Pete would play a game with you if you wanted. Hmm. Fighting yeah. a line of, like, a line of angry uh, space shooty men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sure. You know, it's the described tile. It does sound really interesting. I should try it out. Hmm. I think it's pretty good. Alistair, what were you, you going to chat about? Oh, well, I've already been sort of thinking about how I enjoy hobby. Um, I mean, I've been doing, it's really become like sort of a huge part of like what I do in my free time. I'm either painting or looking at models or sort of like thinking about the game. But um, um, with lockdown of course for the last year and a half almost now well not quite a year and a half but well over a year feels um, like a year and a half <laughs> yeah it feels like it there have been no games um and there's only been the hobby side and chatting about law and things and um i'm oddly enough i find myself enjoying the game or hobby more um which is a weird place to be in because i know that so many people are in such a sort of like position where they just want to get to the table they want to get back to tournaments and everyone is like deeply bleak about the situation and understandably so and i'm just sitting at home being like actually but this is fun why am i having fun now when i didn't have fun before um, what do, you, do you know well i mean i don't think i think that saying i didn't have fun is um a bit like exaggerating it but um I think that I just feel uh, certainly in like with Age of Sigma, um, I would get myself into situations where I felt very anxious about like what I was doing, like how I was building lists and how I was like what I would have to play against. Um, and if I don't have to play any against anything, then that anxiety isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I I mentioned earlier that um, I got into um, Underworlds. Hmm. And I super enjoyed playing Underworlds, which is really only a competitive game. Um, so it clearly isn't the competition part of the game that um, drives me away or um, keeps me up at night. Hmm. Um, so I've been trying to like work out exactly what it is that um, mm-hmm. what I don't enjoy. So was it? Do you think it was? Do you think it's a case that you weren't enjoying it before, or that, or is it more that you're more enjoying it now? Uh, I think it could pretty much be that I'm more enjoying it. I mean, certainly also um, within the last sort of 
a couple of years, I discovered the community that um, uh, Tiny Plastic People has grown out of. And that certainly has been an entirely different sort of um, environment for chatting around and chatting about the hobby and games that I've previously experienced. And um, it's a very nice community. And I'm sure that there are like communities like it out there. Lots of, yes. Um, but it is sort of a much better fit for my sort of interest in the game than my um, local communities were offering, I think. Um, what well, was it about them? Are they, are they highly competitive focused? Not entirely, but I think there's a way that the, the way that you approach hobby can be different. You know, um, if you're coming at it from a sort of like why I like things more first rather than a how can I make this army beat another army first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure exactly like what parts of it might just be my own biases against mm. um, like games in general. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's really fascinating topic how it how it's changed because I I was also thinking I I I know I knew you wanted to talk about this but actually it came to me separately the other day I was thinking it's it's interesting how the how the way you react uh, sorry the way that you interact with the hobby has changed when you can't play games when it's at its core a hobby about playing games and paint like and pa- and painting of course but like it's a it's a war game. Yeah. Well, at least Warhammer. Warhammer as a hobby is war is is war gaming, right? And if you can't do that, and yet everybody still seems to be enjoying it and finding ways to to have fun with it, and that and that's good. But I I wonder how that how that shift is is manifesting and what that what that means for future engagement with the hobby. <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting because I mean, there's obviously there's been a huge drive. I mean, during the first couple of months, there was a huge drive to like, oh, get my army painted during lockdown. Mm. And um, I mean, I'm sure that some people were uh, diligent enough to make that happen. Um, I did not. (laughs) Um, But it certainly did sort of spark a wave of um, painting and converting and talking about law and things. Um, And those are all things which I react really positively too. I certainly mm. started painting a huge amount more. Um, last year, I think I painted as many models as in the previous four or five years put together. Nice. Um, I mean, that is, yeah, like less than 100, which just goes to show how little, how small my hobby output was <laughs> before that. Um, but I'm this year, it's also like I've kept up with it. I'm painting lots of models, and I'm really enjoying painting models. So, mm. yeah. I've found that this is a thing that I I like doing. I I like painting the models. So I'm doing mm-hmm. it. Do you think it? Do you think it helps with the? Did you? What well, did you find pressure before to paint them? I know this, this is something that I the, the perspective I had to is that previously to sort of get a lot of models painted, and you did like I needed something to do it for, and it would typically be a game, and that could be like a game with JD actually, who doesn't live miles away from me, and be like, well, I know I've got a game coming out with JD, so I'm gonna make sure I've got this thing painted or that thing painted. And that was like a motivator that I'd use, but that's gone now. And yet still, well, I mean, it hasn't, no, it's not true to say it's gone. I have, I have this, I have the vague concept of a deadline at some point in the unknown future where we'll be able to play games again. Well, I kind of, I want some stuff painted then, but that's not as concrete yet. And yet I've still managed to paint quite a lot of Warcry stuff, half of a Night Rampager and, and other bits. And I don't know where that, I don't really know where that motivation is coming from. And I wonder if it's... I guess it just be must be the, the the changing way of interacting with the with the with the hobby, or I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the fact you can't do anything else, and I'm just pouring everything into this. I don't. Well, I honestly don't know. 
Um, so something that we like, um, I'm just remind remembered is that um, one thing that um, that I've discovered is painting as part of a community, not only just showing your models, but also the works in progress, and even just being online and chatting to people while you're painting. Um, it's another way of like having a small social interaction. Um, mm. And given that we're not usually talking to each other, especially if it's a group, we're not always going to be talking like talk about like serious things or like talk directly at each other. We might as well be doing something at the same time. And painting is an entirely not verbal process. Um, so I think that group it's a group activity basically. Um, and yeah, I've enjoyed doing things online and chatting to people at the same time. Um, so perhaps that's part of it. Yeah. What What do you think, Judy? So <clears throat> I think I've had almost an opposite experience to you, Tom, where right at the start, you know, I, there was some stuff that I did drop off painting because, you know, for example, we, we were within our community going to have a uh, 30K event um, because about eight or nine of us fell to heresy at the same time. Um, and I was making quite good progress on my uh, heresy era Raven Guard. Then as soon as it was announced that we were going to be going, going into lockdown, sort of, I just sort of stopped. Like, cause I was like, okay, well I haven't got the event coming up. And as soon as the pressure's off me, I don't feel the motivation. And mm. then that sort of wore away a little bit. And I, you know, uh, when I went back home from university, I didn't have much else to do. Um, so I ended up just painting a load of stuff from my shame pile. And it did. And yeah, the community really helped with that because um, we had the, I think it, I believe it was Drew who made the, um, the hobby bingo card. Oh yeah. We try out different techniques or different things. And that was really good. Like I, off the back of that, I managed to get my keeper of secrets done. managed to get a demon prince done. Um, all that kind of stuff and it was really good and then I just sort of again just fell off it mm. and since mm. then it's been hard to get that motivation back um, and again when I came back to university I was able to get more stuff done again um, I was you know I was able to you know get through some of my Slanesh demons and start a Necromunda gang um, and again now it's, it's sort of peaks and troughs I think for me because mm. now I'm back into that thing of well I haven't got anything really to paint for and i know that's not you know the attitude but like and it's not really my attitude <laughs> yeah, but well, like it doesn't matter right? there's there's, there's a little bit of me that's like well i haven't you know i don't feel motivated to paint it because i'm not going to be playing a game with it anytime soon because i don't want to be the person that pl plays with unpainted models i know that we've had games where we've where we've both brought models in various stages of completion yeah um but it's not something i want to get into like a habit of mm -hmm. and i want to go to more events and stuff where painting is more of a prerequisite so yeah, I mean, again, I can feel myself coming out of this hobby slump that I'm in now. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. And I, I think now that in the UK, at least, it seems like maybe the end might be in sight at some point, mm -hmm. but probably not. At <laughs> um, least now there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, right? exactly. So, I mean, you know, in yeah. the next couple of months, we should, in theory, be able to, you know, meet up and play games and stuff again. Yeah. So yeah, I think when that stuff gets closer, I'll probably be more, much more motivated, and I'll probably blast through stuff. Like, I'm quite, I'm okay at blasting through like battle line units or troops units because um, mm. I just sit there, open up my contrast, and job done. Like I'm, I'm at a point now where I've, I've refined painting demonettes to a point where I can paint <laughs> ten to fifteen demonettes in a day. 
without and just be done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. We're, like if I can get that momentum back, I think closer yeah. to the time. Do you think? Do you think you enjoy the hobby any differently than you did at the start of not being able to go outside? I think I've started to appreciate the law of it, the law more. And I've always liked the law. Law's always been my favourite sort of thing about Warhammer and wargaming generally. Um, but I've I've taken more steps to like start writing law as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's something I've always done, but I've done a lot more of it in the last year or so. Um, and it's been great fun. To, like, and I've done enough of it and enjoyed it enough that to the, to the, where it's to the point now where if you know Black Library occasionally open up for submissions, I yeah. think it's something I genuinely would consider as actually putting forward a submission for it. You know, mm. yeah, cool. Yeah, that's pretty different. It's good to hear that. As long as you're finding some way to enjoy it, then as long as, and as, long as it's still providing you enjoyment. Then yeah, I'm still engaging, you know, just yeah. in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's been... If, it, if my takeaway of anything about all of this... Um, about Yeah, I sort of started this conversation with like, well, I... I'm not playing games and now I enjoy the hobby. But I think that really um, finding that I can enjoy the hobby in different ways um, mm-hmm. like has been hugely helpful. So like I, discovering that I I really like enjoying painting models first. So previously there was sort of a like, oh, well, if I need to paint my Slaves to Darkness army so I can play it, then I have to paint Slaves to Darkness even if I'm not really feeling like painting out more Chaos Warriors at this moment. But if I'm just like... I'd like to paint something just because I want to. And yeah. I looked in my cupboard and there was some tower and I was like, you know what? I actually really like robots, like a lot, <laughs> even though I've never played 40K. Um, but there's this old box and I'm going to start painting them. And I started painting them two weeks ago and I'm just like, wow, I, I love this so much. Now all, all is tower. Tower is Everything all sorts. Is tau. Yeah. <laughs> All for the greater good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's to be fair, the, for the photos that you've posted, they look great. Yeah, no, really good stuff. Yeah, oh, that's good. It's interesting, isn't it, how people have found different ways to enjoy the hobby. It's good. Actually, on that note, so I was going to say, the, one of the ways I've found to enjoy the, the Games Workshop things is through Soulbound. Yeah, sounds like you guys are having awesome fun. It's a pretty good thing. So Soulbound, uh, just if anybody's not aware. So this is the uh, the tabletop role-playing game by Cubicle 7 set in the Age of Sigma Mortal Realms. Um, it's pretty good. I've been playing in uh, two games now. So I'm a player in one of them and I'm DMing another one. Um, the one that I'm playing in... Uh, Full disclosure has a like one of the staff members of Cubicle Seven. Um, she also plays with us, and that's it. Doesn't really affect anything we do, but I just get that out there. Um, it's really good. Oh boy, it's good. It fixes a lot of it. So I I played. Um, I've not played a huge number of RPGs, but I played a bit of Dungeons Dragons. I played a bit of. Um, I played like one session of Shadowrun once, which was good. But oh boy, that's a system. Um, and I like, you know, I listen to some of their D and D podcasts and what have you. But this this um, soundbound it fixes so many things that was that were, that were winding me up about Dungeons and Dragons. So um, the combat is highly streamlined in in a really positive and evocative way. So they get rid of ranges essentially. 
So there's no fixed... There, I think it does exist. You can make it. It's a very, very flexible system. You can make it exist if you want, but by default, there's no, like, you can run 32 feet in a turn, and your bow has a range of 60... 11... Point eight feet, or whatever. Like it just doesn't have that. You just got the concept of so you get the concept of zones, right? So like you're in an arena, and there's two zones, and you're either in one zone or the other, and everybody's either in one zone or the other. And if they're not in the one zone, well, you don't really care. So and when you move, you just move from one zone to the other and hit a thing. And when you hit a thing, it's gonna die because you're a superhero, basically. Um, you, uh, you, you your characters sort of start at a big power level um you are you are it's functionally like a hero in aos maybe you can you can like a decent fighting hero you can take on hordes of hordes of chaff units and just bat them aside like it's nothing um and it's you know it's only by sort of throwing multiple champions and stuff at you that it gets in your way and actually at first i was always i remember when i first read about it i was like oh, i don't know how that's gonna work it isn't really i don't see how that's gonna flow but actually it does like in a fight, you might say there's three of you. There might be a fight, and it's like I don't know. You've got like uh, let's take let's take something Nurgle as an example, right? You might get like two swarms of ten Nurglings, and then like four four plague bearers and a big gribble. Like that's that's the thing you can. That's a big fight. And that's a decent thing, but that's like a, <clears throat> you know in D and D, if you said that to somebody, they'd be like, what? Like if, especially if you just started the game. That's something that could kill you, but not 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 in Soulbound. You're just going to bat that aside. And um, man, it's good. Also, the Mortal Realms is a great um, is just a great setting to to mess around in. Um, it let, you know the, the the concept of the Mortal Realms being so big that you can basically just do whatever you want, and it's viable. Yeah, um, there's no such thing as like you know the what do they call it the uh, something coast in. D and D, the Sword Coast, the Sword Coast, right? So this is like you don't have anything like really like that. Whether you can be, but you're not limited to it at all. You just go, you go out, whatever, and just do whatever you want. And sure, it's valid. You got like oh, a city that's um, made of turtles and lives in the sky, and it rains sugar. <laughs> like why not? Yeah, okay, that's somewhere in in the realm of life. Sure. Why not? Sounds normal, pretty normal for the yeah, realm of life. Yeah, pretty normal day. Normal day in the model realms, and uh, I'm loving it. I'm using a um, in the game I'm a player in. I'm playing as a homebrewed character. So, but but Cubicle Seven have been really smart about this. So like when they they've made all these character archetypes, I think is what they call them. Um, sort of character types. You don't so you don't get classes. You just get you are a. Uh, oh blimey! What's it? What's the choice? Like a a stormcast. You are a flavor of Stormcast. You're like a Knight Azeroth or a Knight Questor or something like that. Or you could be a, uh, a Black Art Corsair or you can be a um, Kurnoth Hunter or something like that. But they're all made like they've all been made with like a uh, fixed XP stuff like, as if they've been made from nothing. So it's pretty easy for people to come up with uh, custom classes. And I'm playing as a Seraphon Saurus Guard, which turns out to be huge. Not hugely broken is the wrong word, but... He's very slow, but he hit one thing and then it will it will die. It will die. Um so that's been really good fun. He's not very smart, bless him. And in the uh I can't talk about the DMing game I'm DMing too much because the uh, the producer is playing in it and I don't want to give too much away, but um <laughs> that's also been fun. 
they 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 I think I could say about their setting. So they they're playing in the realm of life. Uh, they're hel- they're on the side of Nagash accidentally. Not really accidentally. They decided they wanted to be soulbound by Nagash, which is not supported by the book. But the book doesn't say no, so you know, cool. We'll go for it. And um, they're on the side of the Osiak Bone Reapers. They're not Osiak Bone Reapers. They're a, I think a Blackheart Corsair, an Ideneth, a Sylvaneth, and uh, Fire Slayer. But they're all fighting on the on behalf of Death in the realm of life, and uh, they they're working. Uh, to help out a city which is built on a comet crashed into the side of a cliff. And it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool anyway. Um, Sounds unironically rad. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Um, I've, I've very much enjoyed hearing the stories from your players um, about uh, the Griffhound burgers and <laughs> collecting the gash figurines. Yes. <laughs> like, I've, yeah, I yeah, very much enjoyed hearing about that second yeah, they, yeah, I just full disclaimer, the Griffhound burgers are not made of Griffhound, that would be inhumane. They're made of <laughs> other animal. Griffhound included, actually. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I don't know if you, either of you guys have looked at it or uh, were interested at all. So, I'm going to be playing in a game from nice. this, I think this Thursday? Um, with, yeah, um, and that's yeah, with some people from the community and from the site, um, <clears throat> and it's. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm going to be playing as a witch elf, and we're playing mm-hmm. with with the setting is shortly after the events of uh, Broken Realms Morethi. So my character was on the ground in Anvilgard, fighting on the side of Morethi, and then has sort of been exiled after, for various reasons afterwards. Um, and we've got some great like character hooks and stuff with other characters. It's, it's yeah, it's been really fun to sort of prep for and uh, everything like that, and just try and work that stuff out. What, um, what other characters have you got in the in the game? So, producer James is um, playing a trade pioneer called uh, Seville, who is um, a, a quite portly, rotund old man. Who's very much in the mold of a sort of Victorian explorer <laughs> type guy, um, with a bit with a penchant for uh, pies and pastry treats. Um, and, uh, so we've got um, Mike as well, who's going to be a, a, a colonel hunter called Deadeye, um, who's sort of losing his connection to, to his war grove. Um, and then we've got uh, Rachel Nursh, who's going to be a Sigmarite priest. I can't remember what the proper archetype is. I think it's just Sigmarite. It's like Sigmarite warrior or Sigmarite priest, I think it is. Yeah, it's from like the Devoted of Sigma, like the witch hunter yeah. type dudes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got a cool, we, we ended up with a cool character hook between uh, her character and my character where we both fought on opposite sides on the ground in Anvilgard. <laughs> and like, so we, we've we've previously met before becoming bound together. Like, and uh, yeah, I can Ooh. see some, there's going to be some cool tension. Like, um, her character is going to be very devoted to Sigma, like in, uh, very zealous, and mm-hmm. my character is also very zealously devoted to Kane. Who is <laughs> who is the party soulbound by? What god? Uh, just by Sigma, I think. Just by okay. Um, but yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff going on. It's cool. It's mm. cool. Uh, we've had our session zero at least, and that's gone great. Yeah, so I'm very excited to play it. Um, I'd, I'd kind of like to run it as well. I think. Um, I might be overextending myself with RPGs at the moment because I'm currently also in a fourth edition D&D game. Blimey. But it's interesting what you say about Soulbound solving uh, <laughs> issues, shall we say, with fifth edition D&D. 
because I think I, I love fifth edition D anD. d It was my first RPG, and I will I will always have a big soft spot. Yeah, for me it. too. Me too. To be um, but having now played other RPGs, I can now see the problems with it, or at least the things that irritate me about it. Hmm. So, for example, in um, in the fourth edition game we've been playing, um, it became apparent to me how low the power level is for fifth edition. Because when you start in fifth edition, you are the worst. You suck. Like yeah, you, you can die you, pretty easily. You will die. Yeah, like it's it's. But then in fourth edition, and it sounds similar to Soulbound in that regard, where you are already a hero at the start. <clears throat> like you are already exploding minions and stuff like that. Um. <clears throat> And I think, yeah, it does get to a point where they always say about about D and D that oh, you can it can be theater of the mind. It, it absolutely cannot. It's way too it's way too tactical. It's way too there's way too much ranges and distances and all that kind of stuff. You can't do that stuff without having it represented somewhere. I mean, fair play to people who can, but for me, I I just can't abstract it. Like, yeah. if if it's if I'm going to have to measure ranges, I need you know, a grid or a board or, you know, something like that. So, that, I mean, to be fair, playing on Roll20 has been brilliant because that stuff is all taken care of because you have mm. a grid with squares and you have your pogs and stuff like that. But I quite like the idea of a game being able to actually be played with theatre of the mind and, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it seems really fun. I can't wait to start playing it. Yeah, well, for well, fourth edition definitely needs a grid, <laughs> but uh, that game was almost a tactics game but uh yeah i mean i've played D 3 uh, 0. 0.5 and fourth uh, mm-hmm. pathfinder and a bunch of other stuff and dear lamented dark heresy wow um, yeah man i love dark heresy so much but i wouldn't go back and play it now it's um, that's it's horrendously complicated right there's, there's lots of d100 tables and it's, uh, it's not it's right? not horribly complicated it's just got an overly complicated dice resolution mechanic so that's basically your skill is between one and a hundred um and then on a d100 so like two d10s you've got to roll under your skill to succeed something mm-hmm. um given that like with modifiers and things it's pretty easy to get your skill up to like 60 70 so like your mm. chance of failure is not that big but then like they also stacked at like a extra working out how well you succeeded on top of that, and it was just very, very unnecessary. Um, mm. And then it's got a terrible character building system, and then its <laughs> combat system is horrendous. Um, there, was a, there was a session in which um, my party killed the, a demon host twice with mm. one autogun. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting system, mm. um, to say the least. But... Uh, I mean, yeah. Um, Soulbound, yeah, I haven't looked at the rules. I haven't got them myself. But I mean, Mm -hmm. from what everyone's been saying about it, it sounds like it does a bunch of things really cleverly and um, it's clearly written with the setting in mind, which Mm. is um, a real part of writing a successful RPG, I think. Uh, Clearly with some good people working on it. Yeah, they Um, they, really... I was going to say they they do a lot with the they do a lot to make it feel like you are at the correct power level and what have you for heroes in the mortal realms. Yeah, it's all about ev- ev- evoking the fantasy in uh, mm. which is in place, and in Age of Sigma, that's to be a well. The heroes are very heroic. They can kill a lot of stuff. If you read some of the Age of Sigma novels, they're chowing through 
hordes of Skaven or Nurgle followers or various it, it feels like that. It feels like that. It's good. It's, yeah, that so sounds the, awesome. So the, the, the systems is D6 based and you 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 come up with what it's called. Uh, <clears throat> every test is basically against an, a, a dice pool. So you're looking for... Um, you're rolling a fixed number of dice and you're looking for certain results on the dice and a certain number of them. So, you know, you might require at least four twos. Well, that, that's a really weird roll, actually. You might require... It, more, more realistically, you'll require, like, one five across mm-hmm. your pool. And, and, you know, the higher your skill levels, the more dice you roll. And it's, it's pretty easy to work out because you only have three stats, which is your body, mind, and soul. And everything is basically modifiers off that. So it's very straightforward. Even like and even like damage is just another sort of even attacking somebody is just another test like that you just roll on dice you need this number of many fours but actually and it sounded when I it's one of those things again when I first read it I was like oh, I don't really understand it when I was used to d twenties and like oh you got to achieve this number and it seems seems more straightforward but actually it's very very easy it's very quick to just work out something on the fly the only slight difficulty is is like knowing okay well is you got to be a bit of a stats monger to be like well okay. And I, I, I can't, and I don't, I'm not very good at yet judging the difficulty of something. So if I want to make something that's like average difficulty, is that, is that one four or is that like two fours or is it maybe three f- threes? And I don't know where I'm, that's the only thing I'm batting up against now. And yeah. that's a me problem because there is definitely a table in the core book, <laughs> which tells you average things are about this and it has a sort of like scaled it has this sort of scaling difficulty from very difficult to very easy of sort of like numbers of dice and numbers you're trying to achieve and i haven't i haven't referenced it and i should but to be yeah. fair they have noticed that and they have um they have addressed it judging difficulty good. is the hardest thing in any rpg though because uh, mm. we're not good at reading mechanical systems basically um so any vaguely complicated dice mechanic even one as simple as that it's very difficult to look at your pool of dice and say okay three two three ups uh two two threes Hmm. that sounds like it's pretty easy but what is the actual probability of it coming fast um and of course if you're running a game like being able to not necessarily having a good you don't need to know this like you don't have to like play it enough to like get a gut feel but just um even if you you know, will have read the rules and seen hmm. things because the presumably the game designers have already done all this complicated maths and like yeah. know what the probabilities are. Um, that's what I think. They've then they've laid out this table of this is more com- this is a more complicated thing. You need like five sixes, and this is a really trivial one. We need one two. And yeah. They've actually laid that out in a table, so I, I, I should, to be fair, reference that a bit more often. But that's about my only qualm with it so far. It's really very nice. They just just literally today as we're recording, they just released a uh, beast theory for it as well, the best theory, which is really good, and it has a load of really good monsters that I'm definitely gonna use on all Wednesday when we have our session. It's gonna be very good. And things for your Saurus to punch. Once. Uh, yeah, things for my Saurus to punch. Uh, he can, he can punch things three times in a row, which is um, unusually good, and he rolls an awful lot of dice. Damage is based on the number of successes you get when you roll so rolling more dice means you hit harder so it's mm. pretty, he hits pretty pretty darn hard i think it's fair to say okay yeah I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, this is the 
This is the first game where I'm really sort of like edging, uh, sort of edging towards commissioning somebody to make a make a uh, a bit of art of the party because I really want that. I highly yeah, recommend really that generally because um, <laughs> we yeah uh, that happened for us in our four E game and we all contributed to the cast. Nice, um, but it's just awesome. Like it's just great to have that. It's actually my lock screen on my PC oh, now. Nice. Like because it just looks, it's just so good. Like it's you got you got to have like build the characters right. So like what so the game I'm playing in, we play that once a week. But the game I'm running, we only we only play it once a fortnight because I want to not pressure people too much into attending. But we play that once a fortnight, and uh, maybe we're not. I don't know. I'm I'm only running it, so maybe the guys have, uh, think differently. But um, I'm not sure that that's quite at the stage of wanting to commission everybody's characters yet. But the but the other one we've been playing, you know, we've done I don't know, goodness, fifteen sessions or something. That's probably enough to have a feel for what the characters. Yeah, we are. we it's played our Fari game for about a couple of months before mm. the art happened. Um, mm. But yeah, now that it's a thing, it's it just yeah, I love it. I think it's great. It's done a big art. Cool. Yeah, it's good. I really like something. Yeah, I haven't played an RPG in so long, but that you're making me really want to now. <laughs> well, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Soulbound games on the go. I'm sure you could, uh, I'm sure you could join in on one. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I think you should. I think it's very good. And they're adding new like characters all the time. It has it has so the whole thing about Soulbound. So the I, I didn't even sort of touch on the premise, but the premise is that basically you're a bunch of people who've been picked by a god to do a task. And you are bound, your souls are bound together such that when you die, your souls don't go to Nagash or whoever or Sonesh, they just explode. Uh, which means you can't die through through natural aging, but also no afterlife for you. Um, you are sort of superpowered, so it's, it's sort of like, you know, uh, a trade off. But you can do, there's cool things that you can do with that power. So, for example, when you. It's really hard, it's quite hard to die in the game, but if you get to the stage, you can heroically sacrifice yourself and you basically go super saiyan and you um you you, you i think it's called i think i can't remember what the, the exact term is for is it but basically you get you you get one round where everything hits at max damage and like and maybe like a little bit more and you get one one turn to do it you just do everything full out but once and then you then you definitely die but it like it like inspires everybody else as well so they get you know they they regain a bit more points and hit points to, to finish the job that you heroically sacrifice yourself to that's just a really powerful mechanic. And of course, if Stormcast die, they don't die. They come back again in a few months in the game. <laughs> but if anybody else dies... Oh, yeah, because Stormcast can't be soulbound. Because their soul already, already belongs to, to Sigma. But the Stormcast in the game tend to sort of like shepherd along the soulbound party. Oh, small mortals. Yeah, yeah, but basically pathetic weaklings. And you just follow them around. <laughs> I do like that the book gives you scope as well to um, be soulbound to other gods as well. Yes. Because, I yeah. mean, Sigma is the obvious choice, really. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, there's there's guidance in there for being bound to Teclis or being bound mm. to Marathi or being mm-hmm. bound to uh, Alariel. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, I really enjoy that. It gives you so much scope just from the off of the, directions you can take it. Yeah, there's, I mean, so the, the guys in, in my game who are bound to Nagash, there's nothing... Ex- it, it's not officially supported, but, but Nagash is, is apparently part of the pantheon that came up with Soulbinding. So there's no reason why he couldn't do that. So it's like the the the, the official the, the reasoning we go with is that like it's not officially supported, but it's definitely not denied. So I think that makes it okay. But also, it I mean, like it's your game. <laughs> you, know, like, you can, you can kind of just do it, it even, do if, it's, even if it's not like you know, you can yeah. just do it. <laughs> yes, Look, if anything has. Anything to do with souls in Age of Sigmar, 
Nagash is going to be like, no, it was me. I thought of it first. Yeah, I thought it's it, mine. I, I think you'll find that I did that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but fun. I mean, with the new stuff happening in Mortal Realms, uh, mm -hmm. what's called No Broken Realms, um, mm -hmm. I mean, with all the gods are up and comers, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, Marathi is suddenly a thing. Oh, no. So um, in the Champions of Order expansion that you can get, um, which c contains more archetypes and, and introduces sub-factions as well, um, that is actually addressed because that book came out after Broken Realms Marathi. So there's there's a bit in it where so when you're picking your sub faction, if you are playing a character who is from the cities of Sigma, you can choose which city you know you are from, and you'll get benefits for that. And one of the options is if the campaign is taking place after the events of Broken Realms, um, you can instead of being from Anvilgard, you can be from Harkuron, which is quite what Anvilgard became after Marathi invaded it. Um, and it's just that was, that that was actually what gave me the sort of character hook for my witch elf was what if it was somebody who was on the ground at Anvilgard when it fell and was sort of you know the faith in Marathi was shaken a little bit. <laughs> I look forward to uh, hearing the exploits of your of your gang. So what else have uh, what else have you been up to? Well, uh, I've been playing a lot of computer games, though less <laughs> recently um, with my sudden hobby drive but um while i've been playing stuff uh been playing a lot of forexes because i really like them um so mm -hmm. just uh, strategy games which are turn-based usually and um i've played a lot of fantasy forexes at this point i think i've played <laughs> most of them um there have been a lot in the last couple of years and quite a lot of them have been very bad um mm -hmm. uh, the best That's one sad. i think is yeah it is sad my f personal favorite is endless legend um, oh, yeah, by yeah, Amplitude yeah, Studios, yeah, uh, and it's really cool because um, it does. They're a French studio, and they do everything slightly differently than other companies when they make games. Um, and they have some really interesting sort of mechanics and law and faction design and things. And um, Endless Legend is a really interesting sort of mix of this, where it's a fantasy setting but in a sort of scientific-based universe. Mm. Um, so there is magic based on this stuff called dust, which is actually nanomachines. Um, oh yeah, this is that's a common thing through their endless games, right? Yeah, through all of their games have dust because it's in the endless universe, which is where this stuff exists. Um, mm. So Endless Legend is basically just one planet where they don't have like full science, but um, they think they have magic because they have dust and thus can do stuff for them sometimes, which is magic-ish. <laughs> um, but that means that there's this really sort of cool sort of like um, design in the law where everything is sort of magic science. They've hmm. they're discovering the how to do magic through scientific means, um, <laughs> which is cool. Nice. Um, I, I I tried that and just end decision actually because at the start of lockdown I did a I did lots of uh, Civilization Four. No wait, Civilization Five playing, and I tried going to uh, Endless Legend, but it was too different. It is really weird. Like starting <laughs> Endless Legend is really hard. Um, yeah, because it doesn't play by any other rules, um, and if you are unlucky enough to choose a faction that plays by its own rules, um, then you're going to be even more in trouble. Um, for instance, there's a tr there's a faction which doesn't use food in Endless Legend. They have to buy more people. Um, they make people out of money. It's. I was quite interested to 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 play it more, but actually, I. 
I was like, I'm, I'm too invested in civilization to, to move. Yeah, and it was like, if I, if I play it, I know it. I, I, I did, you know, blast it through a few skirmish games or whatever. And, um, and I know it's a very highly regarded, but I, I think I'm, I think I was too, too invested in Civ and the, and the way that that works. And it's, and it is very different. And I'm sure for very justified and interesting reasons, but. Yeah. At this point though, I mean, I've played a lot of Ender's Legend and now I'm kind of like hoping that something else comes along because mm. as I said I've played a lot of bad fantasy 4x games um, mm. I mean most of them are fantasy serviceable but um, people really struggle to come up with an interesting like hook or make it deep enough that you want to keep playing like mm. your Civ 5s or, or um, Crusader Kings I guess is another mm. one um, there is a like I see there's a obviously sci-fi so Crusader Kings like coming out called star dynasties um which yeah, that sounds like cool. literally the same game but with a space name i i like <laughs> space more than medieval europe so that yeah, would be no, good that sounds me. fine um i've actually looked into fantasy mods for crusader kings and there seem to be a couple of them which might be cool though quite a lot of them are based around sort of like film ip which just doesn't mm-hmm. interest me so much what um, about like uh total war warhammer Oh, I've played lots of that, of course. <laughs> Though I have a terrible habit of starting up Total Warhammer and be like, I'm going to play a new campaign with a new faction that I've never played before. Uh-huh. And then I play Lizardmen again. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got almost the exact same thing, except with uh, Z- uh, Vampire Coast. <laughs> I can just, uh, I can, yeah, it's, if, if I can, I'm playing as Vampire Coast or Dark Elves, basically. And I can get about halfway through Warriors of Chaos as Archeon or Sigvald. But then it gets to a point where you're just sort of rolling everybody and it gets quite boring. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's just then a case of, okay, I need to conquer all these places. And I, I morally, I'm counting it as a victory because nobody can stand up to me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've, fe- you've effectively won if, if only for the time you want to invest in winning it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think the fantasy, some of the Crusader Kings mods are, are really good. Um, the Elder Scrolls one is pretty good. Um, oh, I didn't know there was one for that. Yeah, I like it's, Elder Scrolls. It's, it's uh, so it's got like I can't remember. It's been a long time since I played it, but I remember playing as like uh, one of the, uh, the one of the Jarls in Skyrim. Mm-hmm. But then there was also like you know it goes all the way to Black Marsh and all those sort of places mm. and uh, elsewhere and everything. Um, the Game of Thrones mod was really good as well. Um, for Crusader Kings, because I mean that's it's better than any Crusader Kings game that has been official, like <laughs> you know because they they've misunderstood the thing that's interesting about Game of Thrones. I think because what's not interesting about Game of Thrones is playing a uh, third person, quite mediocre RPG. What's good about <laughs> it is all the scheming and the politics and all that kind of stuff. And in Ga- and Crusader Kings is just built for that, you know. So it's that mod just turns it into. Crusader Kings, the game, the proper one. It's yeah, very good. I, I'd if highly recommend it. Uh, if only the uh, mod designers could tell that to the latest season writers. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the less said about that, the better, I think. <laughs> hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, That's even in the Game of Thrones one, it's just a huge map. Like. Um, pretty much every territory that's ever mentioned in Game of Thrones is in there. So if you want to, if you want to play as like you know some noble family in Slaver's Bay, you can do that. Or if you want to play as the you know the, a Dothraki horde, you can do that. It's tell, great. <laughs> tell you what, I'd kill for would be a a 
like it, so there's a, there's a few tabletop games right which are which are vaguely forex and I don't know if you ever played the uh, it's not really a forex it's more of a war game but the uh, the Game of Thrones board game is very good and very schemy and very map based ta- it's not like tactical it's it's very very abstracted if my my two horses attack your one horse but it's um it's very schemy good and oh boy would I kill for something like that mixed with Age of Sigma. Oh, over the course good, yeah. of weekends whoa, whoa. Yeah, move your like armies no around on a map and do some forex and also play some games of Warhammer whoa. Whoa. I think that there's there have definitely been attempts at that in the past like I've seen uh-huh. I remember from my youth reading about like white dwarf campaigns where you know people would take they'd play on this big mm. hex grid and they'd be like I'm taking over this territory because it's got an iron yeah. mine in it yeah. um, and I think that they I haven't really seen anything that sort of like um, sort of streamlines all of that. And come mm. to think of it now, there's probably space nowadays to build a freeform, almost like um, asynchronous game like this. Yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah. Probably. Like the Warcry campaigns. Yeah, um, yeah, where yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're kind of sort of doing your own thing. Yeah, um, that's that's a bit like the 40k Crusade system, isn't it? Yeah, so Crusade is very, I think, very sort of like um, not grounded anywhere because I mean, 40k is such yeah. a sort of like you are fighting on different planets and like yeah. who knows what you'll fight next week. Um, but with Age of Sigma, you could probably do sort of like a hybrid where there's some shared structure, but everyone is still doing their own thing. Mm. I think you could probably G- if you had somebody to GM it. Yeah. To like, because what you could do is if you if you set everybody's armies down down paths, a bit like in Warcry. So if if, if you're not familiar, so the Warcry thing is that basically you 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 set your guys down a path of like about ten battles, and you just play them against literally anybody. But you're also, you're carving in doing that, you're carving your own way along your own story. And at certain points, you take um, yeah, at certain points you take like boss battles essentially, which are just, just normal battles but slightly harder for you. And you just work your way through those. Um, and I think if you laid those out for maybe everybody's armies in AOS, and what you could have is maybe, you know, when one faction gets to and beats their, like, halfway boss battle, maybe that updates everybody else's roots through their through their stories or something. That could be that could be quite fun. Yeah, um, I think that... I bet that there's a way to do this. Or at least yeah. write it so that it's... It doesn't even need to be balanced. It just needs to be compelling. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's supposed to be fun, that, right? Like, yeah. That's the thing about Crusader Kings, right? It's like you play it and, like, your guy... Your king steps on a nail and gets gangrene in the foot and dies. And he's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Surely there's a way to write that for Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you get stomped by the... I don't know, Bone Reapers, but... Mm. But ah, oh, that's what I wanted, actually. Yeah, yeah just throwing the old dice roll of, oh yeah, sorry, your general is dead. You have to choose a new one. Well, I guess they they tried to do it with Path to Glory, I suppose. Um, mm. And it's Path to Glory is something that I've always wanted to give a go, but I've never just never got around to it. Um, mm. Where it's got the sort of growing over time, and you know all that. But I think, yeah, I, I love the Warcry system, and I like Crusade Forty K. It's something that I do want to get into. Um, but I think that stuff, as much as I enjoy it, I think it does need the structure of a group or a GM. Because it can feel a bit like, yeah. as much as you're doing your own thing and all your battles count, I think for Warcry particularly, I felt that I, as much as I loved it, it feels a bit lonely. 
because it is like mm. uh, you know i like the idea of you know if you get your halfway boss battle and it changes everybody else's path i actually really like that as an idea because i'm a sucker for consequences and things impacting other things like um and that's the thing that Warcry and crusade as written don't quite do for me mm. is that what i'm yeah. doing isn't affecting anybody else you know it's just yeah. sort of my thing mm. Well, that's where you get through a sort of dedicated day or weekend. Like, exactly, yeah. You know, we were, if you were sent to the massive, um, there's a massive community meetup a few years ago, then that was a two, functionally, like a day and a half worth of massive narrative event. Everybody's games were, were playing into one mega game of like 3,000 points. That was excellent. It was, was really extremely good. good. Like, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, like that, that's the thing. Like any sort of large community event like that, I think um, as long as everyone is bought in, like, oh, yeah. balance doesn't matter at all. As long as the narrative is sufficiently compelling, mm-hmm. um, and like that's what makes that's the best part of games mm-hmm. um, is when they give you a really good memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe hey, maybe we need to uh, maybe we need that tiny plastic campaign. <laughs> Get that going remotely. Maybe. Maybe I've been thinking about putting together um, a TTS um, 40k crusade thing. Hmm. Yeah, something something I've talked about with um, with Pete to see if he'd be up for, um, and maybe doing like a narrative, like coming up with some kind of narrative hook for why all these different factions are fighting over this place or why they're Hmm. in this sector or whatever, um, and just sort of playing that out. So yeah, it's something I'm thinking about definitely. Uh, I don't know. When I think you or get if, a with that. Yeah, I don't know when or if it'll happen, but um, it's something that I've yeah been thinking about a lot recently and sort of hashing out some ideas for. Hmm. Cool. Nice. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we say that's uh, that's quite a lot of good chat that we've done had. Yeah. And uh, let's uh, wrap this bad boy up. <laughs> so where can you uh, where can you find tiny plastic people? It's tinyplasticpeople.com. It's uh, also on Instagram at an address I don't know, but it'll be on the website. It's also on the Twitter. The Twitter is at Tiny Plastic Pals. Hey, well, I'm glad I'm glad you're here, JD, to, to, to add this in because I definitely I, I think it is Tiny Plastic Pals everywhere uh, in all good shops and retailers. Um, available on all good browsers. Very good. <laughs> JD, where can people find you? Uh, I am at jd.paints on Instagram. Nice. Alistair? I'm at Painting Armory um, on both Instagram and Twitter. That's Armory with a U. Nice. Uh, I am at TNDines on Twitter and also Instagram. If you want to get in touch with Tiny Plastic People, then please do. Maybe throw us a question. Throw us some feedback. What do you like? Did we talk too much? Are we not talking enough? Do we not talk about the game you want to hear about? I kind of want to hear that. Maybe maybe some other people don't, but I do. Um, email us at thetinyplasticpeople at gmail.com I've been Tom. You've all been yourselves. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Everyone. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>